Sometimes a preacher looks ahead to what the passage is and the preacher's response is, oh dear. So if we could have the next slide, please, that would be lovely. I want you to imagine this. Someone comes to you and says, here is the, uh, here is the, um, the passage. Someone in the crowd said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Jesus replied, and he said, what would you say about that? Exactly. My problem. But I have said something about this, so I shall. <laughs> I wonder if you've ever been asked a question that you know is beyond your competence to answer. Maybe the question subject impinges a bit on your area of knowledge, but you know that to venture an answer would be wrong. If anybody asks me anything about anything mechanical, it will be a tragedy for them. But if they ask me something about language or about music, I might be able to say something sensible. The very first verse in today's gospel reading that uh, was just read to us is such an instance in the life of Jesus. Teacher, someone said, teacher. Bid my brother divide the inheritance with me. What a funny question to ask Jesus. Jesus wasn't a lawyer. And Jesus had never been to whatever college they went to and got an honours degree in rabbi teaching. But he was regarded as a rabbi. They called him teacher. And so it it shows something about um, the way that Jesus was regarded by people. Rabbis were knowledgeable chaps, and their opinions were regarded, and their opinions were respected. And so here we have this way that Jesus was regarded by people um, Within three years of beginning his ministry, um, he was a carpenter by trade, but was now known as a rabbi. So that's interesting. And here's another point to ponder. Three chapters later, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son. This young man who demanded a share of his father's inheritance. I wonder if the inheritance question Jesus was asked in today's gospel formed any part of the background to Jesus' parable. Hmm, good pondering. But the inheritance question certainly gave Jesus the opportunity to give a little dissertation about covetousness that included the parable of the rich fool. Five chapters later, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus was confronted by the rich young ruler who was unable to let go control of his wealth and follow Christ. I just think it's fascinating that people who were of that kind of upper financial echelon in Jesus' day came to Jesus to ask him questions about what they should do. It just shows, I think, the very good reputation that Jesus had in the general populace. The 10th of the Ten Commandments is a commandment about covetousness. You shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, 
or his manservant or his maidservant or his ox or his ass or anything that is his. Now, I don't know when the last time was in a conversation you said to someone, Let, let's, let's, let's talk about covetousness. It's, it's not a word that has been in our vocabulary very much these days. It's been replaced by such word as avarice and grasping and greediness, greed. But we know that covetousness has two main meanings. The first one is an inordinate desire to possess something, to possess an object that somebody else has. So covetousness is jealousy double plus, jealousy over the top, jealousy out of control. And the second meaning of covetousness is inordinate acquisitiveness. And you tried to say that before breakfast. Inordinate acquisitiveness, the desire to have more and more and more, mostly wealth. But the interesting thing is that there's a healthy aspect also to jealousy. But we will get back to that. Shakespeare had a few references to jealousy in the two plays we mentioned last week in the sermon. In Othello, Iago says to Othello, Oh my Lord, beware of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat that it eats. And in The Merchant of Venice, Portia refers to green-eyed jealousy. How all the other passions flee to air. Doubtful thoughts, rash embrace despair, shuddering fear, green-eyed jealousy. So what we know is that if you were born in Jesus' part of the world with green eyes, you would have been regarded rather strangely. Is covetousness a problem for us today? Is covetousness a spiritual problem for God's people today? Yep. Yep, I think it might be slightly less of a problem than it was in Jesus' day. Nonetheless, we do see instances of jealousy that make us stop and think. In Jesus' day, there was not much private property. Uh, Most property was held by somebody else, and particularly when the Roman Roman government was in charge. Uh, And so because you didn't have much, wanting to have more was a fairly natural kind of thing. And so jealousy came up and even covetousness. But you see, it is possible to appreciate a thing of beauty and not to be jealous of the person who owns it and uses it. We all appreciate new cars, especially when ours has old age hiccups and makes other strange noises and groanings whenever it used not to do so. And Duco that has had its day. Are you happy with the Duco? See, I, I said at half past eight, and uh, Neil, whatever his name is, said, Duco? <laughs> well, I know what Duco is. Right. Okay, I'll get back to the text, shall I? Good. When we see the latest model sedan, or the latest SUV, or the latest sports car... It is perfectly possible to salivate quietly and appreciate its slick, neat lines and its gleaming paintwork 
and say, that's a beautiful car. That's appreciation. When we go a step further and say, oh, I wish I had a car like that, that's jealousy. But when we go even further and say, it's unfair that he can have such a car and I can't, that's covetousness. And should we go another step and say, well, if I can't have a vehicle like that, neither can he, and run a key down the duco, that's criminal damage fed by covetousness. That is jealousy double plus. And I think that there are some crimes that are committed around the place that are the result of covetousness. Jealousy double plus. When you think about the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother coveted his father's love. The older brother was jealous of the attention and the fuss that the younger pig-smelling brother received when he came home. Now, the older brother was going to get everything his father had because that was going to be his share of the inheritance. But he had an inordinate desire for his father's attention and an inordinate dislike of his wasteful, spendthrift younger brother. That's covetousness that affects relationships. And that's also what covetousness does. Now, I said I think that there's a healthy aspect to jealousy. And I think it happens when jealousy acts as a spur to us to do what has to be done to get our own article that the other person has instead of dragging their article down by criminal damage. Jealousy over a car, for example, can stimulate us to develop a budget, save our pennies, curb our spending on flippant things so that we can afford to buy a car like that. Jealousy can spur us on to make the effort and put in the hard work to be as good as someone whose efforts and hard work have paid off so handsomely for them. In our family, we have a... um, Hmm. what would you call her, a step-granddaughter who's doing third-year medicine because she was jealous of a cousin who graduated as a doctor. And so our step-granddaughter said, well, if she can, I can. And she got down and she did the work and got the marks and God bless her cotton-picking stethoscope. She's in in third-year medicine. So jealousy has paid off big time for young Alana. The second meaning of covetousness, however, is inordinate acquisitiveness, the desire to have more and more and more. Mostly wealth for clergy, it's books. You should see the studies of some clergy. And that was the point of Jesus' parable of the rich fool in our gospel reading this morning. Crops, more crops and even more crops. Barns, more barns and even bigger barns. It was going to be terrific. I'm set up for the rest of my life, he said. But in the parable, the rest of his life lasted just a few hours. Where had his acquisition of grain and barns got him in the end? And Jesus said, and so is the person who lays up treasure for himself 
and is not rich towards God. Now, there is an antidote to covetousness and to jealousy, of course, and it is gratitude. It is thankfulness. It's called counting our blessings. During the week, I was trying to uh, develop a little anti-count your blessings song, you know, count your... What was the word I used? Count your grizzles, name them one by one. Count your grizzles, you'll be wrought and wrung. Count your grizzles, name them one by one, and you'll be surprised how you are glum. But I thought that wasn't very good. (laughs) There are many people who are doing things really tough these days. There are people who are still waiting for insurance companies to turn up in Queensland and New South Wales and to rebuild flood-damaged homes. There are COVID sufferers and people with long COVID. There are people with chronic health issues. There are people who work inordinate hours and under great strain. And frankly, it is rather presumptuous and rather patronising for someone like us who, who are so comfortable to say, count your blessings. But there is always something to be thankful for. It is always something for us, or good for us, to take the time and recognise the things in our lives that are good. To think about the people who help us. To think about the memory of good occasions. To think about times that really were times of happiness. There are always things we can be grateful for and help us to keep at bay jealousy and covetousness and their consequences. I love the prayer book. I love the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, And in our modern prayer book, there is the general thanksgiving. And if we could have the next slide. The general thanksgiving is a prayer of thanksgiving to God for the good things in our lives. And it seemed to me that at the end of this um, reflection about covetousness, that it might be good for us to pray this together. And so I invite you to pray with me as we come to the end of the sermon. And we pray, give us such a sense of all your mercies that our hearts may be truly thankful and that we may praise you not only with our lips but in our lives, serving you in holiness and righteousness all our days through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honour and glory, now and forever. Amen.